This is Chris from Play Comics, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 102, Iron Man Movie Review. Chris McBrien, this is Pop Goes Your World, and that is Derek Myers, caveman himself. Derek, what's happening, my friend? Hey, Chris, how you doing this week? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great, thanks. I'm uh, I'm actually really excited for this show. This is uh, this is a show where we're going to talk about uh, a newer movie that I know mm-hmm. you had not seen before. Nope. It's uh, a comic book movie, which I know you're not really big on, or at least haven't been up until now. I- I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, what you have to say about it. Um, yeah, but before we get into that, uh, you always ask me sort of like, what's new in the world of pop culture? Yeah, what's, uh, what's, th- what is new? Yeah, this week hasn't been a big pop culture week for me, uh, aside from uh, Avengers Endgame, which we talked about a little bit last week. Again, mm-hmm. not going to spoil it. Uh, we also are in our last season of Game of Thrones. Chris, mm-hmm. do you watch Game of Thrones? I do. I've watched all three episodes so far this season. Okay, so again, maybe that's a topic for a, a discussion once mm-hmm. the series is over. But sure. uh, yeah, Game of Thrones, huge episode this past week. Again, no spoilers. Uh, so this has been a pretty intense week for pop culture with the uh, release of Avengers Endgame and the uh, excellent Game of Thrones episode that was just on a lot of big, a lot of big things mm-hmm. happening. Um, aside from that, the only other really thing I did uh, this week, pop culture related, was the movie The Martian with Matt <laughs> uh, was on uh, TV the other night, and uh, both my wife and I love this movie to death. And she turned it on and she yelled at me in the other room, and I came running out and I was like, "What? What?" And she goes. The Martians on TV. I'm like, okay. So for the next two hours, we sat and watched The Martian, and we were both like spouting the dialogue because we both love the movie and know all the dialogue, and uh, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. I should mention before I go any further, if if anyone wants to reach out to Derek, you can find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM, and you'll find me at C McBrien. Uh, and speaking of Twitter, uh, I was on I, I, I was on Twitter today, as I want to do, as you know. Okay, man, I, I go on Twitter quite a bit. And I was out today, actually, um, there was a, it's free comic book day, right? Today. It is indeed. This is so, Chris, let me stop you. This yeah. is a big day for pop culture. It I is know. May 4th, which is Star Wars Day. Star and Wars for people day. who don't know, it's May the 4th be with you is a play on obviously May the 4th be with you. So this is considered Star Wars Day. So that's a big one in the first place. Star Wars fans constantly posting stuff online and doing Star Wars, Star Wars related things. One of the local channels here has been running Star Wars movies all day long. Actually, they're doing it all weekend long. And, you know, unfortunately, the timing is such that we lost Peter Mayhew earlier this week, who played Chewbacca in the Star Wars movies, um, which is obviously very sad. And uh, so we're getting sort of that mix of people who are excited about Star Wars Day and people who are using this opportunity to post some very positive memorials about Peter Mayhew. I actually saw something interesting online. He was supposed to make an appearance this weekend at, I believe it was Fan Expo Dallas. And instead of removing the booth that they had already set up for him to appear, they instead turned it into a memorial where they posted flowers and pictures and a couple of books. And they asked all fans who were at the con to sign the books and say something positive and, and you know, something cool. for his family. And after the end of the, the convention, they're going to present these to his family. And I think, again, I think this is a great uh, outreach from the fans 
who have grown up with Star Wars, who love Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars is is a huge phenomenon and the fans are great. There's so much positivity around Star Wars fans. And this is just another example of positive fans doing something positive, uh, remembering an actor who they uh, thought did a great performance, who was a big part of a big franchise in their life. And uh, so I, I just want to say R.I.P. Um, Peter Mayhew. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. A, a huge effect on on both of our lives. That's for sure. Star Wars has. Um, so I so for this free comic book day that is like a spinoff of Star Wars Day, um, I went to the com- local comic book store and we it was just great. Like they had people in costume there. I took my son. He was all excited. They gave out free, free comic books. So we came away with some real, real gems uh, because the stuff they give away, they're not giving away like the top of the line stuff, right? They're like, no, no, you got to go in the back. Like it's like all like stuff from like the seventies and stuff. Like I'm like, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> so I so go back. So Chris, <laughs> yeah. interrupt you for a quick sec. Of course. So one of the things with free comic, free comic book day is always the first weekend in May. Right. And over the years, what's happened is all the major comic publishers and many of the independent comic publishers release at least one special issue that is a free comic book day issue that you can only get for free on free comic book day and in most cases it is the kickoff of some very important storyline that's going to be happening in the upcoming year or some other milestone in one of their big titles so in previous years there was like the green lantern like uh, i think it was called like the war of the rings or something and there was like a batman one their marvel did one in previous years with like the the secret invasion so it's usually some way to get new readers on board with comics because I mean, if you've never read a comic book before but you're sort of interested or if you've got kids you're like well detective comics just hit issue 1000 how's my kid gonna get into it if it's already a thousand issues deep it's like well the comic book st- industry knows that so they create new storylines featuring popular characters and free comic book day is a way to get a free issue into the hands of new readers so that they can jump on board with a monthly title and not feel lost so, uh, to, but to your point, a lot of other stores take this opportunity to give away books that nobody else would buy under most circumstances, issues that are worth under a dollar. <laughs> and again, it, it generates goodwill yep. in the community, right? You, people like you who want those old titles, great. You're going to keep going back to the store that gave you free stuff. So everybody wins with this. And I spent extra money when I was there. Let's be honest. Course, I didn't just take those. Did. I spent a bunch of money when I was there. We came away with some uh, – we got Hong Kong Fui and Battlestar Galactica nice. and Richie Rich. Nice. It was all stuff that I just love. And my son is so excited about it all. And so while we're there too, we went over and there's a section where they have like figures. And there were some Star Wars figures. They had a couple of older ones. I was like, I had that one. I had that one. I had that one. It was the, the, the guy from Empire Strikes Back, one of the Hoth uh, rebel soldiers. And the, and the tauntaun when you stuck it in the top and his legs yep. went inside. Like, I'm like, and I'm saying to my son, like, I had these as a kid and I played with this. Like, I mean, I, I so many adventures with those toys. Like, I just loved it. And then I'm looking and I look up and lo and behold, right in front of me is a Fonzie doll. It's like a Barbie doll, like, but Fonzie. And I was just like, oh my God, I have to have that. So I took a picture of it and I tweeted it out. And I, cause we were actually there. One of the reasons why we went there, Caveman, I should let you know, was we were looking for some of the comic books that you had on your wish list. So nice. my, my son and I, he, he's, well, he had no problem. And he's so excited. He's, oh, we got to go find Caveman's comics. So it's, he's, a, it's like an adventure for him. So we're there looking for some of these on your wish list. And, um, and so I see this thing. And so, so I took a picture of it and I tweeted it out. And I said, while we're looking for, caves comics we came across this 
cool Fonzie doll. And um, Henry Winkler himself responded to the tweet. And I was just so excited because you know how much I love Fonzie. Oh, <laughs> like, of course. Like, of course I, I do. I was like, and even now, I, I, oh my God, I can't feel my face. I can't feel my face. Like, I'm so excited that Fonzie responded to my tweet. So that's what's going on in the world of pop culture for me. I'm very excited because uh, Fonzie, and then someone else in, in, the, in the, the tweet stream that was going on afterwards, somebody tweets me and says, oh yeah, that's so cool. But do you have one of these? And it was a Fonzie mug. And I'm like, are you kidding? Or no, she said, Dude, have you ever seen one of these? This Fonzie mug. And I'm like, seen it. I have one. And I tweet back a picture of mine that's sitting on my counter. Nice. <laughs> She's like, oh my God. Like, I'm like, trust me, I'm not making this up. I love Fonzie. So anyway, it was awesome. So life is good. I, I can't complain. On that note, uh, what do you say we get started with our movie? Absolutely. All right, here we go. I mean, we love him, we hate him, we agree, we disagree. Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who, who ever was. He is the greatest singer that ever will be. Some of the things in Freddie Mercury's real life were uh, possibly X-rated. <laughs> there is no way Rocky was a better movie than Taxi Driver. I love this idea. Probably the greatest film that's ever made. And I just picked it on a whim. And we could have a couple beers and we could play Escape from the Death Star. Walking in a winter wonderland. I try to pick something Christmas. This is a Fargan trick question! Okay, so you had me watch uh, Iron Man. That's from 2008. We have had many conversations on this show about the MCU, which when when I first heard that term, I thought it was the Marvel Comics universe. And you were like, no, no, it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And like, I didn't really know much about it. You've told me there's 22 movies. I don't watch these things. I'm stuck in the past. And uh, so we had lots of conversations about the MCU. It's and, and it's like when I look at the top 10 movies, grossing movies of all time, the MCU has like eight of them. Like it's crazy, right? So you said, hey, listen, I'm going to send you back to 2008. You're going to watch the first one in the series. You're going to watch Iron Man. And so I did. So I watched it before I get into my take on it. Did you want to maybe talk a little bit about the movie? Why you felt it was important that I saw it? Where it fits into the MCU? why I should start on that one and maybe just fill it, fill me in on that a little bit. Sure. Okay. So, uh, let me start by saying Iron Man was the first movie released in what is now known as the Marvel cinematic universe. So like you said, there've been 22 films. Okay. Iron Man was the first one. Now, some of the movies take place chronologically before Iron Man. So Iron Man was shot and filmed in correct me if I'm wrong, 2008. Yeah. And the movie is supposed to take place in 2008. Right. So there have been a few movies that in the context of the movies take place before 2008, but were released after. Don't sweat that so much. Mm -hmm. I would say if you're interested in watching more of the Marvel movies, I would just watch them in the order they were released because that works. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're a super duper super fan after you've seen all the movies once or twice and you want to go back and watch them chronologically based on when they would fit in a timeline, that's sort of a more advanced thing. Don't sweat that. I always tell people who ask me, where should I start? Iron Man is definitely a good jumping in point. I have a question for you. Sorry, just to jump in on that, because you mentioned that this Iron Man from 2008 is the first in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, series of films. But I have a question. What about Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man? It came out like before that. And it came out in 2002, if I remember correctly, or 2000. Yeah. And... Was that not part of the MCU or should it not have been? Or why was that not the first? So in the 90s, Marvel Comics fell on some pretty hard financial times. And in an effort to keep... Boy, did they they write the ship, didn't they? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. In in an effort to um, keep the ship afloat and keep 
the industry work like I mean at their heart they're a comic book company mm-hmm. and so in order to make sure the lights stayed on and the issues were continuing to publish and artists and writers got paid they had to take drastic measures and they started to license out and sell off the movie and TV rights to many of their characters and franchises so for example you would say we are selling Spider-Man to Sony Pictures and with that we are selling X number of Spider-Man villains and supporting characters. So it's you're not just buying Spider-Man, you're buying Spider-Man and the Green Goblin and Dr. Mm-hmm. Octopus and okay. other Marvel properties that they felt were closely related to Spider-Man. And then they did the same thing with Fantastic Four. They did the same thing with um, uh, the Hulk. Again, they, they were – That was the Eric Bana Movie yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, okay. So so in an effort to um, keep the lights on and make a few dollars, they did the only thing they could do at the time, which was uh, uh, you know sell these rights to these various companies. Now, Marvel obviously kept enough of a percentage that if and when movies ever came out, they were stamped with the Marvel logo on them. And people who were a part of the Marvel um, Corporation – got their names on the movies as like executive producers. And certainly the people who created the books obviously got credit for that. So like Spider-Man would say created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Um, so there was, there was no shenanigans around that, but uh, Marvel basically sold the store. They took their most popular and the X-Men was another one. And they basically said, these are our most popular characters, our most popular intellectual property or IP as you will often hear it called. And they, they straight up sold them away because they needed the money. And then you started to get things like Ang Lee's Hulk movie right. starring Eric Bana. And you got the X-Men franchise with Hugh Jackman. And you got Spider-Man franchise with Tobey Maguire. And part of the contracts that these companies got said you have X number of years to actually – Make a movie featuring these characters. And if you don't make a movie within X number of years, the rights revert back to the Marvel Comics Corporation. So that's why you saw every few years a new Spider-Man movie came out. So you had the three with Tobey Maguire. But by the third, the time the third one came out, although it did okay in the box office, it was not received very well by the fans. The reviews were quite negative. And then a couple years later, you get a new Spider-Man franchise uh, with I believe it's Andrew Garfield, the guy who was in the Facebook movie as Spider-Man, and uh, and he did two movies as Spider-Man. And you're like, well, you already gave me three movies with Spider-Man. I know how he gets his powers. I've seen the origin story. Yet here I've got another origin story, and you've basically rebooted the franchise. So that's that's the business rationale to why you kept seeing these movies. Same with Fantastic Four. You had two Fantastic Four movies with um, Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, the guy from the Shield. I can't think of his name. Uh, and oh, Michael Chiklis. It also had, yeah, and it had Chris Evans as uh, the Human Torch, who did a great job. And after two movies, they went okay again, not critically acclaimed. They they basically screwed it up. They didn't mm. they didn't stay true to the heart of the comic book. They sort of made a lot of changes. You essentially you had people who were not comic book people making business decisions about why they felt a movie would work or not work. Right. Again, that's a whole other podcast we can go into. And so you did two Fantastic Four movies. They didn't do that well. But not long after that, you had another Fantastic Four movie. And this one features um, Michael B. Jordan as a Human Torch. And you have uh, new actors and actresses playing the the Marvel's first family. 
and again, it's another origin story. And you're just thinking to yourself, why do you keep telling me these new origin stories with new actors? Well, this is why it's part of their contract. If they don't make a movie within X number of years, they lose the rights. And given what they paid for the rights and given what they can make with a movie, even a bad movie, they have to keep making these movies. Mm -hmm. So, so this is a situation. This is the groundwork. So at this point, after you've had half a dozen so-so movies, although the X-Men movies did okay, but arguably the first X-Men movie was not great, but it did better than some of these other franchises. I think it came out in 99 or 2000. Any case, Marvel sort of looked at what they had left. And they went, well, we sold all our quote-unquote A-list characters. Who do we have as a B-list character that we own, that we can sell, that we can make our own movie of, retain all the rights, do whatever we want, try and keep it as close to the comic books as possible, and if it's a hit, we own it. What do we have left? And so they, they opted for Iron Man. And they went, well, at the time, Iron Man was a known character to comic book readers. Iron Man's been around since the 60s. He was one of the founding members of the Avengers. He's had his own title for since the 60s. It's been a constantly going. It's never stopped printing. You know, it's it's maybe not been their best-selling comic book, but Iron Man's got a lot of decent stories along the way. They've had good writers and good artists. And so in 2000, well, I mean, obviously before 2008, let's say 2006, 2007, Marvel Industries, Marvel Comic Books said, let's make an Iron Man movie. Let's see how it does. And honestly, they, they didn't necessarily know if it was going to be a hit or not. So they sort of rolled the dice. They went, well, let's get Robert Downey Jr. Oh, well, you know, he's not an A-list actor at this point. He hadn't really done anything in a while. His last couple of movies had kind of been duds. He had had some issues in his personal life. He was not a bankable star at the time, but he was a known commodity. We could sell a movie and say, it's got Robert Downey Jr. People know the name. And they're like, well, let's get Jeff Bridges. He's a, he, again, he hadn't really done a lot lately, but people knew him. Okay, well, let's get Gwyneth Paltrow. Small role, supporting role. But again, she'd done Shakespeare in Love a few years earlier. She had won an Oscar. She was a bankable name. You have Terrence Howard, nominated for an Oscar for Hustle and Flow. So you, you had a very respectable cast. And then they said, okay, well, let's get John Favreau to direct it. Again, people knew him as the actor from Swingers. Sure. He, uh, I mean, he also directed the Christmas movie Elf, which I, I think that came out just before Iron Man. He'd done a few other things. Again, these were all people who were known, but not necessarily, it wasn't a guarantee. I mean, nothing's a guarantee when you, in this industry. And then in 2008, they put out Iron Man and it comes out and it gets good reviews and it does okay box office. It comes out in May. It actually came out 11 years ago this week and it did okay. But then like two months later, the dark Knight with Christian Bale and Heath Ledger comes out. Oh man, that thing was a massive blockbuster. It was huge. And that was the overshadowed Iron Man to no, like to nobody's business. Everyone, it made all the money that year. Everyone said, oh my God, Heath Ledger is the greatest Joker we've ever seen. He ended up getting an Oscar for it. And of course, Heath Ledger passed away not long. Did he, did he die before the movie came out? He died before the movie came out. I still Just think that's, that's out. a big part of its move, the movie's success, yeah. I think. You know? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I think he did a great job, but I think his death sparked fan interest and exactly. non-fan interest yeah. people say well if this is the last movie let's go see what it's all about and then it turns out the movie was great so people kind of forgot about iron man then it comes out on dvd and blu-ray and it starts to find legs and people are like this movie is pretty freaking good and it ended up making a lot of money way more like again it was it was a b-list character it had a reasonable budget 
But it wasn't like this $500 million blockbuster movie. They sort of went, this is the minimum money we can give you to make this movie in a way that we think is going to work. We don't want to embarrass ourselves. Let's see what happens. And so it, it worked. And they're like, wow, okay, let's build on this. And then the next movie came out a few years later was The Hulk with Edward Norton. Pardon me, The Incredible Hulk, Edward Norton, uh, which was, I believe, through, partnered with Universal Pictures. Again, they had bought the Hulk franchise, so that that worked. And then there was a tie-in. And then the next one, I think, was Thor. Again, not a character anyone had really seen before. It stars uh, um, Chris Hemsworth, who was not a known actor at the time in North America. Directed by Kenneth Branagh, a big name, but again... Not necessarily known as the world's best director and uh, started Natalie Portman and it did pretty good. And then you started to see like these movies are all tying together. Then they put out Captain America, the first Avenger. And suddenly you've got like these four movies in a row that are all starting to do well and they're all tied into each other. And you can start to see the pieces falling in place. And then they put out Iron Man 2 and like it did gangbusters. And, and it was just a runaway freight train from there. Like once people started to get on board with it, you know. It, it was unstoppable, and it all started with Iron Man. Iron Man was the first. Let's circle back to that. So, okay, so yeah, that's that's why to... that's why I had to watch this one first, right? Watch this one first. So, probably want to know. Man, yeah, probably want to know movie. what did I think of it, right? Yeah. So before we get to that, so mm. as a comic book nerd, I've been aware of the Iron Man character. I've never really been a big fan of Iron Man in the comic books. Did you read uh, it, any not... of his comic books before this? Pardon me. Like before this movie came out, had you read any Iron Man comics? On and off, uh, one of my buddies was a big Iron Man fan, so he would lend me issues from time to time. But, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Spider-Man. I was a big fan of the X-Men, a big fan of Batman and Justice League. But Iron Man was never really on my radar. I knew who the character was and enough to understand sort of who the major villains were and his motivations. But never really a big Iron Man comic book fan. But uh, as a comic book nerd, I felt obligated to go see this movie, and I loved it right away. And I've probably seen it, you know, close to ten times now. And – I think it's great. I love it. So I'm curious to see uh, your take, to hear your take on it. So from that, I've talked enough. Let's hear, mm -hmm. let's hear it from you, Chris. What do you think? All right. Well, here we go. So uh, Iron Man, this movie, guess what? I liked it. Wow. Honestly, Chris, I'm, I'm not surprised. I think it hit, checks a lot of the boxes that I know you like. So tell us a little bit more about your experience. Uh, so the movie starts off, um, and it, I thought it was interesting. It opens up with ACDC's Back in Black. And of course, my first thought is, why did they open up with Black Sabbath's Iron Man? That doesn't make any sense to me. This is weird. And I asked you before we I watched the movie. I said, can I let my son watch this movie? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I think you're good. couple parts in it, but I think you'll be all right. So we went ahead and put the movie on. And all of us were there. Actually, my wife and both my two boys and me. And the Sorry, movie, Chris. How old are your boys? Uh, they're nine and six. And the movie starts off. And, of course, Tony beds the the blonde female reporter. And then these half-naked... Doing a piece for Vanity Fair. Yeah. And these these half-naked girls are, like, dancing around poles in his private plane. And my wife just glares at me. <laughs> and I think, oh, she's going to kill Caveman. But they had their clothes on. <laughs> they did. But, you know, it, but it, it was okay. We, we made it through that part. And then uh, it was quite good. So one of the things that stood out to me, you kind of touched base on a little bit, was Robert Downey Jr., and oh, the yeah. casting of him in this movie, because back when this movie first came out and I didn't see it then, like this was the first time that I'd seen it. But even when it came out, but, you know, back in 2008, I thought Robert Downey Jr. is an odd choice to play a superhero. 
And it just seems like the totally wrong actor to cast. And, and you got to remember at the time, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. had come off uh, a period of time when he was like arrested for like multiple drug issues. Like he was and he was arrested like a zillion times and he just kept getting away with it. And I, I think even one time he got caught driving around. He was high with a gun. And the fact that he just kept getting arrested and he just never seemed to get in any real trouble for it. And like by that, I mean, like he stayed out of jail. Right. I think it seemed, at least to some people, that, that he kind of was like an example of this spoiled Hollywood brat that just keeps getting away with stuff. So I think there was a time where the public was kind of sick of this guy. And rightly so. I mean, he was basically the embodiment of Hollywood white privilege, you know. But if there's one thing Hollywood likes better than spoiled rich kids, it's a comeback. And he fit the mold perfectly for that. I mean, like, he wasn't just some untalented guy. Because, I mean, he'd been nominated for an Academy Award for in 1992 for Chaplin. Yeah, for Chaplin. Yeah, he yeah. lost to Al Pacino for Sight of a Woman that year. But that really helped sort of solidify himself as a talented actor in Hollywood, right? But he's got all this baggage, right? So, so of course, my initial thought was he's a real bizarre choice to play this role. And I even thought that as the movie started. And then as I start to watch this movie, I realize he's actually the perfect actor to play this part because Tony Stark is a flawed character. Oh, absolutely. He drinks too much. He's wildly promiscuous, as my wife will tell you at the opening scenes, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, the guy, he, he's materialistic. He's driven by power and ambition. But the cool thing is, is that the character takes a journey in this movie and he changes and develops. And that's when I realized Robert Downey Jr. was like a great casting choice. And it's one of the reasons why I like this movie, too, because the character, like I say, it actually develops throughout the movie. Um, there was one scene that stood out in my mind, though, um, when Jeff Bridges character, he like paralyzed uh, Tony Stark from that red flashy light thing. It was, yeah. like the, it was like the thing for Men in Black. Yeah. And then and then and then uh, Robert Downey Jr. is like laying there on the couch with his mouth open and his eyes are all bloodshot. And I'm thinking now that's the Robert Downey Jr. that I know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but another thing about Robert Downey Jr. too was have you ever seen him in Tropic Thunder? Uh, absolutely. My God. He was incredible in that. Like he's black, but he's not really black. Yeah. He's like, what do you mean, you people? <laughs> he's like a, yeah, a method actor pretending yeah. that he's black. My God, and that that full <laughs> speech. Oh, oh my, my God, that's so great. God, unbelievable, unbelievable. But um, yeah, no, I, I I thought it was quite good, and I and I and I, I liked Robert Downey Jr. and I liked the, the character of of, of Tony. I, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was interesting that you got this superhero who's a weapons manufacturer, but instead he draws his inspiration from disarmament. Yeah. And, and the fact that it's rooted in, in real world events, because some comic books are, you know, a little bit far fetched. Right. So for those reasons, I thought I thought it was quite good, quite good, quite good. Good. I, I, well, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I, and honestly, I've recommended some movies to you where I've sort of been like, oh, I don't know if he's going to like this, but I, I was pretty confident when I recommended Iron Man that you would enjoy it. Uh, and, and I'm glad to hear that you did. So one of the things you mentioned was about the story arc of, of Tony Stark's character. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I knew coming in from comic books was that there was a very um, famous comic book a story arc where in the comics, Tony Stark is an alcoholic. And there's a point where his drinking gets so bad that he has to stop being Iron Man. And the character of James Rhodes, 
becomes Iron Man for like five or six years in the 80s. And people who are familiar with the character know that. Not that they really went to that extent in this movie, but I think it's pretty clear that he has, you know, he drinks a little too much from time to time. And uh, there's even a sort of a wink wink to that in uh, towards the end of the movie where um, uh, Terrence Howard as uh, as James Rhodes comes to help him. And then Tony Stark puts on the Iron Man suit and flies away. And then uh, Rhodey turns around and he sees an Iron Man outfit there and he says, maybe next time. Because, again, in the comic book, he eventually becomes Iron Man. And uh, for a while, he is like the the actual character Iron Man. And then many years later, he becomes a secondary character while Tony Stark becomes Iron Man again. He becomes War Machine. And so characters who know the movie or know the comic books rather at this point, this is the only movie that's ever come out. Nobody knows if there's going to be a sequel. Nobody knows if it's going to be a success. But it's a little wink wink to those in the know that if we do part two. You might see this. I want to stick a little pin in that and come back to that because I, sure. I made a note about that too. A um, couple things about this movie that I thought were interesting. You know how much of a movie buff that I am. So I, I, I always appreciate when I see homages to other movies within a movie. And I, I found a couple in this one and I want to share them with you and see if you share you know, my feelings on this or if sure. you, or if you noticed it or not. So at the beginning when they're in Afghanistan or wherever the heck they were and they were in that cave and there's a scene where, where Tony, he's built the suit, right. And they're, they're going to attempt to break out. And then his sidekick, whoever he was, he grabs a gun, like, like he grabs like a machine gun and he like chases the terrorists down the corridor of the cave and he's chasing them and screaming and running after them. And then they hit the dead end and they turn around and the group realizes it's just him. So yeah. to me, that was just such a, a obviously an homage to Star Wars. Of course, when of course the stormtroopers were obviously chased, you know, down the Death yeah. Star by, by yeah. Han and Chewie, and rest yep. in peace, Peter Mayhew, like you said earlier. By the R. way, R.I.P. Peter Mayhew. Yeah. Um, and then the scene I thought was interesting when um, Robert Downey Jr. puts the suit on. He tries to go as high in the air as he possibly can when he's testing it out, and he ends up falling back to Earth. For me, at least, I, I felt that was an homage to the right stuff. Uh, that that it, it called that to mind, and then. A third one was when he escapes the terrorists at the beginning and he's he's walking through the desert and he ties his jacket around his head. And it's, of course, an homage to Ishtar. No, oh, you didn't <laughs> say that. No, I know. You told me on our Ishtar episode, I'm never allowed to mention that movie again. But when he put that thing around his head, was I'm like, hey, that reminds me of Ishtar. Now, I mean, if only Tony and Pepper had got a gig, you know, singing at a lounge in Morocco, like then we'd have something. You know hey, Chris, I, mean? I, I don't want to ruin Iron Man 2 for you, but, you know, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, my you, God. You might want to watch it down if, the road. If they go to uh, a gig in Morocco in the desert and then Pepper has to do the show by herself because, you know, Tony's like stuck at the airport and the MC is like from the duo of Tony and Pepper, Pepper, you know, like I'm, and then Tony comes in and sings That's Amore. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to lose my mind. It's going to be so good. Um, no and, comment. No yeah, comment. Of course. I know you hate, you hate it. No spoilers. And I swear at the beginning, it was so funny. I'm watching the very, very beginning of the movie, just when they open up. Remember they're in the helicopter in Afghanistan. And um, I swore, I said to my wife, I swore that that was Ralph Macchio beside him. And I had to look twice and I was like squinting real hard at the screen because I was, I swore it was. I mean, obviously it wasn't because Ralph Macchio has, he doesn't work anymore, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, a Karate Kid homage would have been cool too. But um, yeah, you mentioned a couple of the other actors. I just want to come back to Terrence Howard, okay? Because you mentioned him. I think he might be one of the most under- underrated actors in Hollywood. 
That guy yeah. is outstanding. I remember He's that. Quite good. You mentioned Hustle and Flow. When he did that, I mean, and, and of all things, he plays a pimp in that movie who wants to become a rapper. Sounds ridiculous, right? He was amazing in that movie. Like, amazing. And in Crash, have you seen that? The scene yeah, where- I, I have not seen Hustle and Flow, but oh, I love it. I God, have it seen Crash. It is so good. It is so good. You really need to watch Hustle and Flow. It is, he is, un, like I say, I went into that movie thinking, okay, the guy's, the guy's a pimp, right? And he wants to be a a rapper give me a break what is this you know but he was phenomenal and um in crash when matt Dillon is basically groping his wife in front of him during that trap oh yeah terrence the howard is, yeah. oh man he's a good actor and there's that scene like you mentioned where he, he goes into the lab and he looks at the big shiny silver suit and he says next time baby and I'm like, I make a note of this. I'm like, he's obviously foreshadowing to something or whatever. But like yeah. you said, you explained it. It's it's from the comic books. Because I guess you're right at the time. Like, they didn't know if they were going to get a, a sequel or be able to continue to make movies. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and as I mentioned, in the, in the comic books for a, a long time, he was Iron Man. The red and gold Iron Man. But then later he becomes War Machine. And the War Machine armor is silver, just like the one that he was looking at. So it's sort of a wink-wink in both of those regards. But uh, let me let me talk about Her- Terrence Howard. So I don't know if you're aware of this. And if you're not, this is a tiny bit of a spoiler, but I think it's relevant to our conversation. His character of James Rhodes is recast right after this movie. And Don Cheadle takes over the role and appears in about seven more movies as James Rhodes and as, spoiler, um, War Machine. And that's in Iron Man 2? Starting Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, oh, all the Avengers movies and was, a bunch of other movies, yeah. Like, you know, like, was he just not available or something? Because he it certainly he wasn't a lack from, of talent. So my, my understanding is they went into renegotiations of his contract for the sequel or sequels because from what I understand, after the first Iron Man movie came out and they started to realize like, hey, this could be a thing, they started to lock the actors into long-term contracts. You must appear in X number of movies in some capacity. And I think once Terrence Howard realized like I might be locked down for like seven or eight movies over the next decade, he wanted more money. And they were like, we're not really at a point where we're willing to pay that. And from again, I could be wrong, but from what I remember reading, from what I understand, it was a problem with the money. And he felt that he needed to walk away rather than accept the offer they gave him. I don't know the details and I may be wrong about this, but I believe it was about the money. And they were like, okay, we're going to recast. And then they cast Oscar winner Don Cheadle. So it's like they knew they needed someone with some acting chops because whoever it was going to be was going to be playing opposite Robert Downey Jr. And like you said, Robert Downey was an Oscar nominee as well. And despite where his personal life had taken him recently, Iron Man was his – part two of his career or part three of his career, part four of his career. He's had a lot to do overs. Yeah. And not long after Iron Man, he start he was cast as Sherlock Holmes. And the first Sherlock Holmes movie with him was a huge hit. So like within a very short window, he had Iron Man and Sherlock Holmes. And now he had two franchises where he was the title character. His his life, you know, changed forever. Yep. And suddenly he's writing his own ticket. And as each movie came out, you realize Tony Stark is the pivotal character that ties everything else together and they they literally wove all the stories around his story and hey if you're the actor and you realize my character is of vital importance to this ongoing franchise they they paid him an obscene amount of money to continue to be in these movies like that guy doesn't have to work another day in his life right and um as you saw in this movie when he's in the suit you see his face uh, and there's like a digital screen Mm mm-hmm he doesn't have to actually be 
in the suit doing stuff. I mean, he I think he was for a lot of it. But later, very much Marvel could have just said, we're going to hire a stunt actor to do all of the motion capture stuff. We only need Robert Downey Jr. when we need his face. So he started making like cameos in other movies where he's like he comes in in the suit and he flies around and he says a few things and you hear his voice and you see his face. But you never actually see him, the actor, mm-hmm. doing stuff. And it's like, again, they're paying him an obscene amount of money. That's got to be the easiest paycheck he's ever cashed in <laughs> no his kidding. whole life. It's it's next to doing voice work on a cartoon. Like, I mean, not that that's easy by any means. From what I have some friends that do voice work and they say it is grueling. You do like 50 takes on one line on a, on a cartoon or a commercial. But, you know, as opposed to being in costume, being in makeup, being on set, doing the scene, I got to think voice work and we're just going to shoot your face today is way easier than full-on acting acting so i i like how they showed his face inside the mask with the digital displays as you mentioned yeah like i i thought it was a pretty good stylistic device for the movie and, and here's oh, why because it, it's it's really difficult to make a movie where you don't see the lead actor's face for a big chunk of it right so Chris, it, have you ever seen um uh the first spider-man with toby mcguire yes there are huge sections of that movie where spider-man and the green goblin played by toby mcguire and um Oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, yep. Have scenes together where they're both wearing their masks. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the scene with Mute, all they do is move their head from side to side to indicate, I'm talking right now. It is the most boring thing to watch. And I can yeah. remember reading reviews after that movie came out saying, this is terrible. They have to show their faces for this to work. And I think that the Marvel Studios went, mm-hmm. we're going to learn from this mistake. We're going to read the user feedback. We're going to read the reviews. Why did people dislike these movies despite the fact they made lots of money? And they fixed it. Yeah. You're going to cast Robert Downey Jr.? We want to see his face. Here's a way to do that without him taking off the mask every two seconds, which is stupid. Mm-hmm. And it really allowed audiences to stay connected with the character. I think it was pretty smart. Pretty pretty good. And they've continued device. to do yeah. that in every movie where he's appeared. And it's great. It's a tremendous stylistic device. Yeah, I like it. Two other actors I want to touch base on that are in this movie. So Jeff Bridges, you touch base on briefly. Oh, I love Jeff Bridges. I have to admit, I, I I couldn't figure out what the hell his character's name was. I spent basically the whole movie confused about his name. Obadiah Stane. Yeah, like and and with all the other homages that I mentioned earlier that I, I, I found in this movie, I, I wasn't sure if I was hearing it right. I, at one point, I was like, is it Opus Die? Like, no, no, that's from the Da Vinci Code. And I'm like, it's like, it's like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Or, or, <laughs> or at one point, it's like, it sounded like, you know, Obla Di, Obla Da, the Beatles song. But, you know, it, his weird ass name aside, Jeff Bridges, man, he's an amazing actor. And even though this was, quote unquote, a comic book movie, I felt that his character and Tony's character were incredibly well developed. Oh yeah, and and the, I, the, the actors took it seriously, which they, I think they did. They, the they inhabited so those roles. Yes, you know. And the, the other thing was, not only did they inhabit the roles, it was almost as if like they had a history together, and they yeah. interacted perfectly with each other. I was really impressed with Jeff Bridges. He's an outstanding actor, but just the way that the two of them interacted in the movie, I thought was really good. And Gwyneth Paltrow, you mentioned her too. Was it Pepper Pot or Pepper Potts? Pepper Potts with an S. Pepper Potts. Um, Like Robert Downey Jr., when she first came on screen, I got to admit, my first thought was, this is another bizarre casting choice. Yeah. And, And she, 
it did seem a little odd in the role. Like the the scene when they go out on the balcony, remember? And there's there's supposed yeah. feelings are up there. Yeah. Go get me some martini with lots of olives, right? Like three olives. I yeah. felt that was a bit contrived. And, and and here's the thing: you got Tony Stark is like this flippant, almost satirical goofball in a lot of ways, right? Like he makes wise cracks. He does take a lot of things very seriously. And I think I would have liked to have seen Gwyneth Paltrow to be a little bit more concerned about him almost killing himself. You know, like, 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 yeah, I feel she should have been a little bit more angry at him and she should have been sort of chastising him for being so careless. You know, I just think it might have balanced out the dynamic a little bit better. But anyway, that's just that's me. I mean, I'm a big into character study and stuff, but um, the scene when she has to reach into his chest into that yeah. cavity and pull that thing out. How big like, are your hands? Like, oh, yeah, good. They're nice and small. Come over here. Yeah. So I, I have some questions about that because sure. what the hell was that thing? Like, I was a little confused because it seemed to me that at the beginning of the movie, it was like some sort of magnet or something that was there to try to attract away the shrapnel from entering his heart. And that's what they said. But then all of a sudden, it's like it's this thing that's basically keeping him alive and replacing his heart or something. So if you could help me understand that part, that would be very, very helpful. Yeah, I I, I think you've sort of got it right from my understanding is that he's got this shrapnel in his body. And if it gets into his heart, it will kill him. So the the doctor slash scientist that helps him in the cave basically says, I put an electromagnet in your body and it basically will repel uh, the, like, I think it's like, you know how they, it's like opposites attract, but mm-hmm. positives repel kind of thing. It's like, I'm going to turn this thing on and it will force the shrapnel to stay away from your heart. That, this is my, again, I haven't looked this up, but this is right. my understanding from the, from the various, uh, the comics and the, and the, the movies. And so in, in the cave, it's powered by a car battery and then he makes that little device and right. that gives him a wireless version of the, as long as there's power going to this electromagnet, it will continue to push away the little tiny microscopic metal barbs that if they got into his heart would kill him. And so when but he comes she like back, reaches right into his heart almost. Like, yeah. So, weird. and that's, I think that's why, um, uh, in the scene he's he, like, he's hooked up to monitors and, uh, and even the monitors start to like flatline and even says that he goes, Oh, like, she's like, Oh, are you going to be okay? And he goes, no, no, I'm just going into cardiac arrest. And he sort of plays it for laughs. But I think the idea is if this thing doesn't get turned on real quick, his bloodstream is just going to push those metal shrapnel right into his heart and that's going to do you know irrevocable damage. So they don't really dwell on it. You just sort of – it's one of those things with this kind of a movie where they lay it out in the first 15 minutes and you just have to accept that this is how this works. This is why he's got this thing and maybe down the road they will address it some more. They don't really and uh, and this is it. And, and then by making this this essentially like magnet – or this power source – to power the electromagnet, it also is this incredibly efficient power source that he can use to power his Iron Man armor. Okay. Yeah. So a couple other things in this movie that I liked, I want to touch base on. The Stan Lee cameo, I thought was good. He says, looking good, Hef. Yeah. And so that wasn't his first cameo, though, was it? So it, it was not, and nor was it his last. So a little spoiler for you. Mm-hmm. Every Marvel movie that came after this, Stanley has made a cameo appearance in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes he has a few lines of dialogue. Sometimes he's just on screen. But it has become the little like right. wink, wink signature 
of every Marvel movie after. Now he has had some cameos prior to this. That's what I was going to ask. Was he not in, in Spider Man? He, he, like he's in the first Spider Man movie where um, there's like rubble falling on people, and he pulls a little girl out of the way. He makes a uh, an appearance in the first Fantastic Four movie as the mailman. Uh, I want to say his name is Willie Lumpkin, but I'm not sure if that's correct. In the uh, the uh, one of the Hulk movies, I think it might actually be The Incredible Hulk, which is the follow-up to this Iron Man movie. He plays a security guard alongside Luke Ferrigno. So again, a little wink-wink if you know your Hulk history. Um, and prior to Stanley's death, because they knew he was getting old and his health wasn't great, they had him film like 10 cameos that because they didn't necessarily know how they wanted to use him in these movies, but they're like, we can make these work. And so he did a dozen of them. So even though he has passed away, he could just be he, a guy getting on a bus or something like that. You know? So he, yeah. he, he, since his death, he has appeared posthumously in the Captain Marvel movie that came out earlier this year. And he appeared in Avengers Endgame uh, that just came out last week. Now he might've still been alive when those things were in production, but it's my understanding that they have enough in the can that he will appear in the next few Marvel movies, regardless of which characters get the next movie. So I think there's a Spider-Man movie and a Black Panther movie coming out in the next year. And I'm, I'd be shocked if he doesn't have cameos in both of those. Uh, and again, this is just a little – it's a wink-wink to the mm-hmm. fans. But I think it's also a way of saying like, Stan Lee, you were 40 years old when you created these characters. And you're 90 years old now, and you lived through a lot of years where you were struggling financially. Here, you're finally getting to see your intellectual property spread to the masses. Like Iron uh, Avengers Endgame came out this weekend. It not only broke, it shattered box office records. It will be the most successful movie of all time in no time. Mm-hmm. After its third day, it was like – 15th on the all-time list like it is ridiculous it's, it's, it's actually much- this weekend i think it's going to pass avatar as yeah, the all-time no, there's no worldwide. question it's going to pass avatar it is going Crazy. to be the number one movie and it features many of the characters like again don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it but certainly don't want to spoil it for you because you haven't seen any of the movies none yep, but other than this. it features many of the characters who appear in all these other movies and i would say stanley probably had his hand in creating 75 to 85% of every single major character that appears in this movie. And this is his legacy. This absolute capital L legacy. What has Stan Lee left behind? He has left behind characters that will last. Well, I'd like to think forever, but for a very, very long time. And these movies have been made with such care and such professionalism and taken so seriously and been accepted by the movie going audience that they're going to be around for a very long time. I listened to a podcast the other day where they said, when I was a kid, we had Star Wars. If you're a kid today, Avengers is your Star Wars. So, Chris, think of how influential Star Wars has been in your life. Right. Your kids, Avengers will be the Star Wars for them. Well, not necessarily because I force them to watch all the Gen X stuff. So it'll be Star Wars for them too. But you're definitely right with Stan Lee and the influence that he's had. Because even back on episode 86 of this podcast, we did a whole episode on Stan Lee, you know, after he died and and the influences. Can I just go back to Gwyneth Paltrow for a second? Yes, please do. Because I'm just one thing. A a lot of people, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that a lot of people don't like Gwyneth Paltrow. It seems. Why not? I don't know. Why is that, do you think? I don't know. I, I think she's a great actress. She's incredibly beautiful. Like, what's not to like about her? I don't know. I've heard lots of negative things about her. I th- it just okay. seems like, like people just don't like her. I don't like Gwyneth Paltrow. So, so let me stop you there. 
Mm-hmm. As far as her professional acting career, mm-hmm. I have no issues with Gwyneth Paltrow whatsoever. Now, from my understanding, in her personal life, there are other things going on. She has some sort of like uh, all natural uh, uh, cosmetics or soaps or something like that. I don't know. I don't know the specifics, but I, think, I know I think, yeah, it's seen named, as being very pretentious. Yeah, and, and she, she named her kids these bizarre things. Like one of her kids' name is Apple. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? Exactly. Like, you know what's a good name for a girl? Lisa, Stephanie. Like, come on, a regular name. Apple. Like, you're straddling this kid with a problem from day one. Anyway, you know what's you know what's a good name for a kid? Not Apple. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so there's that. So I, I mean, from a professional actor point, I mean, she obviously comes from acting royalty. Her family has has a long history of acting. Oh, sure. Uh, she, I, I, in my opinion, she's talented. She's won an Oscar. Whether you believe she she deserved that Oscar or not is a whole other conversation. She's done a lot of movies that I like. She's done some movies that I didn't like so much. But um, I think that she's made a lot of good choices in which movies she does appear in. Outside of that, if you don't think that her personal stuff is for you, hey, that's fine. But for me, in this movie, she's cast in a role. I think now that you know, once you get to see it and you know the character, I think she's – well cast again because I sort of know where this character's story arc goes. So you need someone with some chops because they're going to get more screen time if the franchise continues onward, which it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it worked. And I think you had mentioned before about you know I think her character should have done this and should have done that or should have felt this and should have felt that. I think Robert Downey sort of addresses that in one of the very last scenes before he goes out to the press conference and he says, you know. Uh, if I was a superhero, I'd have this girlfriend and she'd worry about me and she'd give me all this advice about, you know, don't put yourself at risk and all that stuff. And I think that sort of addresses the things you were saying, like you felt she should have said those things or felt those things or it should have been clear that she felt those things and maybe it wasn't. And I think by Robert Downey's character addressing that flat out, calling it out right at the, at the end of the movie sort of, you know, diffuses that issue yeah, in my opinion. That's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. Uh, you mentioned uh, Stan Lee. Uh, doing, you know, when we were talking about him, um, John Favreau does a cameo in this too, right? Well, not even a cameo. So it's, it's actually Hogan, a little bit of, like a smaller yeah. part, right? Happy Hogan is a character in the Iron Man series. Again, a small part, but enough of a part that, you know, Favreau is an actor first and a director second. Now he's had tremendous success as an actor or as a, as a director, rather he's directing the new Lion King movie. He directed Iron Man one and two uh, which obviously the financial success and what they've done for this Marvel franchise is phenomenal. He's gone on to produce a number of other movies. So I got to think this guy's not hurting for money or work at this point right. in his life. And if this Lion King movie does half as well as they think he does, it, it's going to, he's never going to have to work another day in his life. He's going to be set forever. And, but he started like so many other people as an actor. And then that opened the door for him to become a director. So I don't think it's out of place for him to be in the movie, but I think he did a good job of recognizing that he's not Iron Man. He's not the star of this movie. Mm-hmm. So he cast himself in a role that was small enough that he got some screen time. He had a few lines and that was it. And and again, in part two, same thing. Part three, he actually has a slightly bigger role, but he's not the director of part three. So I think that's sort of a little bit of a payback. They're like, Favreau, you've done some work to put this franchise on the map. We're going to reward you by actually letting you act in a few scenes. Whether you think he's a great actor in those scenes, that's a whole other discussion. But um, no, I, I have no issues with him being 
cast in this supporting role, a very small supporting role in this movie. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, obviously his directing. He did The Jungle Book and, and Elf, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. I, I originally, I for some reason, I thought he directed Swingers, but he just produced and started them. I think he directed Doug, that. Doug Lyman directed, yeah. yeah. But uh, boy, John Favreau has come a long way. Has he ever? You know, when you think like when he was in Friends, remember when he, when he was the rich oh, guy? Yeah. The MMA fighter. Yeah, he wanted to be the, U- the UFC fighter. Like, oh, that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so just two quick things I wanted to mention because I always kind of talk about how my wife watches the movies with me and sure. comments. So did she last through the whole film? She did. We were watching. She actually enjoyed it. And it was funny. We're watching the movie and my, my kids are enjoying it. You know, I was enjoying it too, obviously. And my wife, other than the, the sex scenes that, pissed her off early on um there was it was so funny there's a scene where Gwyneth paltrow comes on screen and my wife says those are like 800 dollars shoes she's wearing you know not like wow that suit of armor is worth like millions of dollars and can fly into space and shoot rockets and you know and 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 deflect bullets and has has a built-in communication so no it's like look at those jimmy Chews. You know, so I thought that was interesting. And um, another thing she did throughout the whole movie, she kept saying um, that she knew the actors. She's like, oh, that guy's from Homeland. Oh, she's from Scandal. Oh, I know him. He was in How I Met Your Mother, you know, because unlike me, she actually watches stuff that was produced after 1989, you know. Yeah. So um, speaking of which, I thought an interesting thing, too, was um, the, the the cell phone that Tony uses with the TV screen attached to the top yeah. of it. And, and I'm sure a lot of the people at the time, or at least in 2008, a lot of people probably looked at it and think, wow, man, Tony Stark, man, he he's rich, man. He's He's got a phone with a video screen on it. Wow. You know, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> that was funny. I will say this. Okay, so I mentioned I like this movie. But the one thing I will say is I, I don't take this the wrong way, but I probably wouldn't watch it again. You know, and, okay. and and it just, I think it just goes back to my my discussion point that I made previous, you know, on previous episodes about sort of millennial films in general, like like they're big and they're flashy, they're visually incredible, but I don't see them as eminently rewatchable. And I know it's just me; I'm the old guy who yells at kids to get off his front lawn. I get it, um, but I don't know. I just don't know about these movies i i can't watch them over and over again like i can with gen x movies are you with you understand what i'm saying like i i do but let me let me throw this out to you so this become not at the time but it has since become the first of a multi-movie series what i have heard i've heard from people exactly like you that said well i watched it once and that was it but as they started to watch some of the other movies and they ne- didn't necessarily love every one of them. But once they started to realize they were connected, people were like, I'm going to give my two hours to just see where this goes and how it connects to the bigger picture. And they enjoyed enough of them that they wanted to continue doing that. What ended up happening was after a few of them came out, people went, I better go back and rewatch Iron Man. Because now that I know where the story's going, I want to see how much of this was embedded in part one. And you find that there's a lot of stuff in these very first movies where – the people who were putting the stories together knew we if we if we get picked up, if we get a sequel, if we're able to get our big vision out, we need to set some of these little wheels in motion. And it's subtle. It's very subtle. But after seeing, say, for example, the first Avengers movie, which I think was number five or number six in the series, you almost want to go back and say, OK, now that I've seen the culmination of where these movies came together – 
if I watch this first one again, am I going to see it in a new light? Am I going to pick up details that didn't seem relevant the first time through because I had no context for them? But now that I have that context, I can watch for them. And you do. You find little tidbits where you're like, oh my God, he says this line. That's relevant three movies from now. But at the time, you have no idea it's going to be relevant three movies from now. So I, I see where you're saying of on its own, on its face, I'm not going to watch it a second time. I enjoyed I mean, it. I, I am. Yeah, but I enjoyed I mean, it. But not, and I get yeah. that. But I think if you start to watch the other – maybe not even every single one of them. But if you start to watch the movies because – especially with Iron Man because he is the main character in all of these you know, team-up movies. Right. There's a part of you after you've seen a few more of them, you're probably going to start to think, I'm, I think if I watch that movie again, I'm going to get something new out of it. And that's going to motivate you to watch it again. And now that's not necessarily the same motivation for watching Star Wars again. Right. Right. And I think that's the point you're making. Star Wars, you're going to watch it and you're going to stop and you're going to go, let's watch it again. And you're going to watch it again in two sittings in a row mm-hmm. and you're going to love it because there's something about it that you just want to watch it right again. And I'm, I'll admit, Iron Man doesn't necessarily do that for everybody. But I do think there's enough there and I do think the stories start to come together where down the road you may personally find a strong enough motivation to feel that you want to go back to these first movies again. Yeah, and maybe I will, you know, if, if I see more of these movies. And speaking of that, Kate, you you told me that I had to watch this movie and wait until the final credits. Because you, yeah. you sent me a note, you're like, you got to wait till the fight, till the credits are done. You got to sit through them all. So we did. So my kids, of course, start getting antsy, you know, and my wife was like, okay, come on, come on, come on. I mean, the credits are long, right? I mean, a lot of people worked on yeah. this. And then it gets right to the end, right to the end of the credits. And then our stream dropped out. So we had to go back and start it over again. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we had to get to the same place. And my kids were getting more and more antsy. And then, so of course, my wife is like, this better be worth it. So we finally make it through the credits. And then we watch the additional kind of like bonus scene at the end. Yeah, they call them stingers. Yeah. That's what they call them. So I have two questions after after doing all that. Number one, what happened in that scene? And number two, what does a key grip do? I have no idea what a key grip is. (laughs) Because it was in the credits. (laughs) The credit, all the credits go up. I'm like, a key grip. What does a key grip do? Hmm, That's interesting. Uh, So maybe you can at least answer. I think, I think with a key grip, I think it's like a gaffer. Is like electrical. Oh, yeah. That clears it right up. I don't know what a gaffer is either. And, and a grip maybe does camera gear, but I don't know. And sure. a best boy. What does a best boy do? I don't know that stuff. But anyway, so what happened in the, the final? Uh, the credits are done. There's one little tiny scene. It's like 30 seconds long. Yeah. What happened so, in there? So so this has become a staple, another staple in the Marvel movies. Every Marvel movie, except for Endgame, which just came out, which is literally the end game of this 22 movie series has one of those little stinger scenes at the end where there's something. Some In many cases, what it does is it gives you a little tease of what's next. So this was the very first one. So again, they didn't necessarily know they were going to get a sequel or get to tie the next movie into this one. But in it, you have Samuel Jackson, who plays Nick Fury. And Nick Fury is the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., which you get a small introduction to in this movie. And S.H.I.E.L.D. is essentially like a paramilitary organization that's international and they, they're like a watchdog of all sorts of things. And they have these deep pockets and they have technology and resource and all this stuff, which you find out more about in other movies. Or if you're a comic book person, you know about S.H.I.E.L.D. is a big part of Marvel Comics. And um, so he shows up in, a Tony, in a Tony Stark's house and he basically says, you know, now that you're Iron Man – 
you know, you, you think you're the first superhero, you're not. You become part of a bigger community. And let me tell you about this thing called the Avengers Initiative. So again, that's Marvel's little way of saying, wink, right. wink, if yeah. we get picked up, you can expect an Avengers movie down the road. So, so that guy, who, it was yeah, Nick, so Nick Fury, right? Yes. Okay. So Nick Fury, uh, Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury, I think appears in 10 or 12 of the movies. He, in many cases, it's, it's a very small part. He's never, it's never been a Nick Fury movie, but in some movies he does have pretty substantial parts. And in many of the movies he has like one scene like that. And in uh, in the comic books, Nick Fury was reimagined around uh, the turn of, around two two thousand year two thousand, um, and he the person who reimagined Nick Fury's character basically said, when I drew him and created him, I imagined Samuel Jackson. And so when they were ready to cast it, they actually called Samuel Jackson. And they said, we want you to play this part, and he's like, I'd love to. And so for anyone who's been you know if you're a younger person who's been reading these comics since the year two thousand and onward. Samuel Jackson is the embodiment of this character. He's perfectly cast because the creator of the character or the recreator of the character, character from the 60s originally, um, this is how they draw him, this is how they created him. So it's more of a little wink, wink, wink to the movie-going audience um, who sat through the entire credits to say, we've got a plan. Avengers is coming. Oh, and here's Samuel Jackson. Isn't he cool? He'll be in some of these movies too. So I understand, I guess, why you had me watch this one as kind of the initial foray into the MCU, not only because it was the first one, you know, but also like because you said some of the other ones, they fit chronologically previous. But uh, yeah, I, I can understand how kind of it all ties together. And, and maybe I'll watch some more as we go through our journey together on this podcast. That's for sure. So well, I certainly hope so. Yeah, overall, I th- I, I, like I say, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Not bad. Nice. So there we go. So on that note... I tell you what, let's do a little bit of fun with caveman. Okay, so Tony Stark, I mentioned I, I liked his character. I thought it was pretty good. You know, that alter ego that of Iron Man that he was. And now, Caveman, you mentioned previously you own in excess of like 6,000 comic books, right? So I'm going to suggest that you probably know comic books pretty well and some of the characters. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mention a character's real name and okay. you mention the alter ego character that they embody so for like example the superhero name or yes. the supervillain name so you're gonna say like clark kent and you're gonna want me to say superman superman exactly bruce wayne okay. you would say of course Batman. spider-man <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're gonna start with some easy ones here we go bruce banner the incredible hulk you got it. okay diana prince wonder woman Oh, very good. See, you got this. It's easy. Yeah. Okay. If they say this easy. I should go perfect 10 for 10. They are Stephen Strange. That would be Doctor Strange. Very good. Another easy one. Victor Von Doom. Doctor Doom. Oh, boy. You're killing it. Steve Rogers. Captain America. Very good. Who's Alexander Joseph Luther? That's Lex Luthor. Very good, it is. I had to think about that one. I'm like... Yeah. How about how about Wade Wilson? Who's Wade Wilson? Oh, um... Wade Wilson. Oh, my God. Why am I blanking on this? Wade Wilson. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to get it in time. I no. got to pass on that one. It's Deadpool. Oh, it's Deadpool. Jeez. Yeah, Deadpool. How about Matt Murdock? Who does Matt Murdock Matt become? Murdock is Daredevil. That is correct. How about Eric... Magnus Lencher. 
Do you know Eric Magnus Lencher? That is Magneto. That's the name they've yes. given him in the last 20 years. Yeah. Very good. Easy one, Jack Napier. The Joker. Very good. Billy Batson. Who's Billy Batson? Billy Batson is Captain Marvel, also known as Shazam. Yes. Hal Jordan. How about Hal Jordan? Hal Jordan is gr- one of the many Green Lanterns. Okay. Dr. Don Blake. Thor. The mighty Thor. <laughs> Absolutely. Ben Grimm. Who's Ben Grimm? The ever-loving blue-eyed thing from Fantastic Four. Of course he is. A.L. Simmons. Wow. I have no idea. Oh, this one's a later one. It's Spawn. Spawn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, how about Alec Holland? Who does Alec Holland become? I have no idea. The Swamp Thing. Oh, jeez. No. And finally, this is a tough one. Well, maybe not. You know, you got all these other ones. Tetsuan Atomo. Tetsuan Atomo. I have no idea. It's Astro Boy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, I, I was like, a it sounds Japanese, but yeah. I don't want to sound racist by saying that. So, totally was Japanese. That's... Tetsuan Atomo sounds Japanese, but I don't want to sound racist. It's totally Japanese. There's nothing racist about it. It's Japanese. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Is it Captain America? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Uh, anyway, if you would like to reach us on Twitter, you will find Derek at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me, of course, at C McBrien and popgoesyourworld.com. You'll find our website. All of our contact information is there. And if you get a chance, go over to iTunes and leave us a review. We'd obviously love that. So next week on the show, Derek, you had a great idea. Do you want to share it with us what we maybe should take a look at next week? Sure. So next week, we're going to return to our top five list, as we yep. often do. You recommended a movie. I recommended a movie. Now we're going to go back to the top five list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to do a top five list where we talk about the rock band U2. And we'll Ooh, talk more about good. that next week. Very good. Let's do that. We will come back next week. We will talk about U2. And that's a band that spans both Gen X years and millennial years. So this is going to be perfect for us. They've been around forever. So we will do that. Uh, until then, this is Chris McBrien. For Derek Meyer saying, thanks for listening to Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music.